So if you're a mom or dad, you probably know what it's like to labor without getting much in the way of thanks. Right? Breakfasts are served, lunches are packed, dinners are cooked, kids are driven places, money is spent, and then more money is spent. And usually you get rewarded with things like, ew, what's this? Or if you're lucky, a simple thanks or bye. Parenting can literally be thankless, but I'm willing to bet that most of you wouldn't trade it and you wouldn't stop working for those kids and you won't stop working for those kids even into adulthood because you love them, because it's right and expected, and because, quite frankly, who else is going to do it? So there's just no choice. Right? We chuckle about this. We commiserate about this when we're together. But, but we also need to realize this. This is a little bit of an example for us, because as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to be like that to everyone, whether or not they thank us, whether or not they deserve it. Everyone, laboring thanklessly to do good things for others, regardless of whether they're grateful or not. This we learn today in Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. As Paul writes, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, for those who've been with us since we began this series back after Easter, the first four chapters of Galatians were were intensely focused on the doctrine of our salvation by grace through faith alone, to make sure we understood this good news, that there was no confusion about this good news, But now, as we have come in recent weeks to these final two chapters, we are in chapters that are chapters that have emphasized what the gospel means for our daily lives. And this is what we continue today, and we will conclude next week. And obviously these verses all work together, but I will only briefly comment on verse 6 to just give a word of thanks. Right? Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Here Paul is commanding the sharing of material goods to support the ministry work of the local church. So as one who teaches, I am deeply grateful for your faithful generosity in supporting the ministry of this church that makes it possible for me to do this on a full-time basis. And what we see in this verse is an extension of the New Testament principles related to giving which we've talked about before. In the New Testament, the principles are to to give generously, to give sacrificially, and to give joyfully. And here we see that it also points very clearly that we have to give to the local church financially, that that is part of the commandment of living faithfully in Christ. 
But the bulk of today's passage is moving to what is often called the law of sowing and reaping. We saw the same kind of phrasing in the reading from Hosea that Philip read earlier. It's introduced to us in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Now, this is a basic farming or gardening truism for those who have green thumbs. What you sow, you will reap. Right To sow, of course, is to plant seeds. To reap is to harvest the fruit, the grain, the vegetables, whatever grows out of those seeds. And by definition, you're not going to reap something you didn't sow. If you plant cucumbers, you're not going to harvest broccoli. If you plant carrots, you're not going to harvest rutabagas. So stop lying to yourself about having a great crop of rutabagas coming up. See, God is not fooled by a Christian who is puts on a good show on Sunday morning, and then the rest of the week is no different from anybody else out in the world. And since God isn't fooled, we need to stop fooling ourselves in the way we conduct our lives, because sometimes we, we fall into those patterns without even realizing it. We fall into the patterns of the world around us Monday through Saturday, But Sunday morning, we're here, we're good, we're holy, we're prayed up, and we can resume living life just like everybody else. Paul's point is you can't pretend to be a good Christian on Sunday morning while living a life that shows little evidence of genuine repentance or salvation every other day. God won't be mocked. There will be ultimate justice for every person, reward for those who live lives that quietly serve and faithfully glorify God and punishment for those whose lives reveal that they never really put their faith in Christ. Jesus explains this principle this way in Matthew 7, verses 17 through 19. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You see, We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by good deeds, what Jesus calls our fruit. But our works don't lie. Our deeds don't lie. Our fruit doesn't lie. Right? If the evidence of our life is that we have not been changed by Jesus Christ, then we probably don't know him in a saving way. And so Paul says at the beginning of verse 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Now, to sow to our own flesh is to habitually indulge in those sinful works that Paul listed in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Two weeks ago I asked, so which of these are the one that tempts you? Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Paul's point is we don't get to to dabble with these, we don't get to play around with these, we don't get to kind of mess with them from a distance, kind of roll them around in our hand, think about it, we don't get to play that game. If we are regularly indulging in any of these, the point is that we need to question whether we have truly made Jesus Christ the Lord of our life. 
If we are sowing these things, Paul says we will, we will reap corruption. And, and corruption here, this word is portraying a putrid, stinking, decomposing corpse. This is the crop we get when we plant sin. Habitual indulgence in sin indicates a lack of saving faith in Jesus Christ. The consequences of that are very clear. Spiritual death and damnation. As Christians, we cannot stand with one foot in God's presence and one foot literally in the grave. This is not an option for us. We can't simultaneously obey God and maintain our loyalty to the worldly delights of of sexual sin or divisiveness or debauchery or greed or abuse or other things like these. If Jesus is your Savior, He must also be your Lord. And as your Lord, He forbids sowing to the flesh. Instead, Paul continues, the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Sowing to the Spirit describes that regular nurture of a healthy spiritual life. Routinely practicing the things that bring you closer to God and learn about Him. Faithful sowing in the Spirit indicates genuine discipleship. It evidences real saving faith in Jesus Christ from which we reap eternal life. Right? We don't earn eternal life by good works. We don't earn eternal life by doing a bunch of spiritual practices and being really disciplined about them, right? Because there, there are not enough good works in the world to pile up to the perfect and holy standard of the God of the universe. And every single one of us sins and falls short of God's glory. This is a reality. But Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, never did. He never failed in this way. He lived that innocent, sin-free life that we can't. So that by his innocent blood, which he sacrificed on the cross, he could pay that penalty, that penalty of death, right? The wages of sin are death. The cost of sinning is something innocent must die to cover our error. And on the cross, it was Jesus Christ. And all we have to do to benefit from that sacrifice and to receive forgiveness for quite literally everything we've done, all the, all the mistakes and all the mess of our past, have all of our guilt and all of our shame washed away is to accept God's free gift of grace. His free gift of life and freedom that he offers to everyone who embraces Jesus as Lord and Savior. See, by faith we reap eternal life, but, but the indicator of that faith is a life that has been changed to become more and more like Jesus. Yes, we will still mess up some days. We will have our bad days. But over the course of our life, we should see progress. We should be, see growth in becoming more and more like Jesus. Genuine Christian faith is demonstrated by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, who, who both compels us and transforms us as we sow to the Spirit. Right? As we nurture our spiritual lives through things like regularly gathering to worship with other Christians reading or listening to God's Word frequently, meditating on God's truth, praying, ministering to those around us with the love of Jesus Christ. See, saving faith leads to a lifetime of discipleship because that is fundamentally what it means to sow to the Spirit, is to live the life of a disciple, someone who imitates the Master 
closer and closer and closer as they go through life. You cannot separate discipleship from faith. In coming weeks, you're going to hear an increasing emphasis on discipleship here at LRBC as we begin offering more to help everyone here identify where they are in their walk and begin to grow and live the life of a Christ follower. And this is not a burden. This is not a chore. This is a joy. This is freedom. This fall, we'll be beginning our first intentional program to help each person live more more fully as a disciple of Christ. So please be watching for the announcements and the information about Summit Discipleship for Life, which will begin in the end of September. So we are to, we will reap what we sow. What are we to be sowing? This is where Paul goes next. He specifically exhorts us to sow good works to all. Now, most of us like to do good things, right? That's kind of how we're wired, particularly if we are Christians and we come to church. We, we tend to adopt a certain uh, desire to do good things, but let's be honest, we tend to like to get paid for those good things, right? We like a little appreciation, a little thanks, a little love, a little applause, something. Right, Because it gets hard for us to keep going and doing the good things when we face a, a lack of appreciation or unyielding apathy or outright opposition. Right? Does this sound familiar to any moms or dads out there? Sometimes it gets hard to be nice to your, to your kids. But as Christians, we have one certain guarantee which is that God appreciates and will reward our good works, even if no other human being ever does. See, Paul continues in verse 9, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. When we labor hard and we are pouring out our heart and our soul to serve and love and care for others, and we don't get a lot of response, and maybe we don't see a lot of fruit in our ministry, we get tempted to give up. It gets hard. We begin to doubt whether God's in it, or whether there's a point in even trying, or, or whether we're making a mistake. But doing good is never a mistake. It's God's expectation for each and every follower of Jesus Christ. And so the issue may be that we need to begin to reframe the way we think about doing our good works, right? And we need to stop doing our good works out of an expectation of some kind of personal success or appreciation from people around us or the applause of the world, and instead focus simply on pleasing God. As Christians, we need to learn to make his pleasure the overriding concern and desire of our hearts. Because once we really can embrace that, right, once we can believe it, right, not just tell ourselves, but believe it, put it in our hearts, begin to live it, that I'm going to do good regardless of whether anybody cares other than God. Once we can believe this, it transforms how we think and how we live. It frees us to just please God. And we need to realize, Paul's promise is ironclad. We will reap. 
right? Whether we see one bit of appreciation in this life or not, when we are faithful in sowing good works to please God, we will one day hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter the joy of your master. Can there be anything sweeter to hear one day? I mean, really. This is what we want to hold before us. Paul's promise, this confidence, this comfort, it can sustain us through a lifetime where there are very few visible results, where there is very little positive response. I'm reminded of what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. This is what we will reap when we sow good works and do not give up. And so we come to verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And, and I think this is nicely summarized by what has come to be known as John Wesley's rule of life. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. All right, you won't get too far off the mark. Because Paul says, do good as we have opportunity. But my friends, opportunity is around us every day. It is constantly surrounding us if we just pay attention so that we can seize it. I would challenge you for the next few days, look around. Everywhere you go, be intentional. Pay real attention to the people you are, you're chatting with over coffee or at the water cooler or as you're you know, heating lunch in the kitchen at work. As you're traveling around the hallways of school, I suspect you will find opportunities to do good. Paul says to do good to everyone, right? No, there are no qualifications here. There are no limiters. There are no conditions on this. It is not restricted to just people who deserve it, because Lord knows God does good things to us we don't deserve all the time. We are to do good to everyone we encounter, no matter their age, their race, their nationality, their immigration status, their lifestyle, their financial status, their profession, their education, their family situation, their health, their personality, no exceptions, do good to everyone. And pay particular attention to find opportunities to do good for other Christians. Because that's both Christ's commandment to us and our testimony to the watching world. That's what Jesus told us in John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know, will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is not hard, and yet it is hard, isn't it? Right? It's really simple, and yet we want to live our busy lives and blow through these kinds of things all the time. Because we walk through life with blinders on. Now in four weeks, four weeks, we're going to have a great opportunity to do good to everyone around us. 
and not grow weary no matter the outcome. All right, September 21 through 23, we are spending the weekend to go out of this building and love our neighbors in the most practical and inviting ways we can think of. We are going to be praying for the community, meeting our neighbors, beautifying the community, right? doing projects together, serving those who'd like a little help, having fun, and inviting the community over for dinners and a movie. Right? It's going to be an incredible weekend. It is focused entirely on living the great commandment. I hope you will join us. We've already got activities, menus, events planned. We're lining up projects, prayers, teams. There is literally something for every single person to do in this congregation, right? And if we don't have something now, we'll make it up for you. I want to challenge everybody here to sign up. It's not hard. You can use the app. You can use the website. There are print copies down in the breezeway by the main entrance of sign-up forms. It's very simple. When we started this process, we were praying for 50 people to join us. We got 50 people. We got four more weeks, so I'm going to pray for 100 now. So if you haven't signed up, sign up.